Love the commas. Love the apostrophes. Love the colons and the question marks. Love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, Lita. No, no, Lita. You're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM Arts Centre in Leeds in the UK. And we're talking today to a writer who's who I thought was in New York, but he's not. He's in Trinidad. So Samantha Thornhill, the poet. Hello, Samantha. Hi. Good day. It's great to be here. Really nice to have you on the programme. Just a bit of context for anybody who hasn't been listening recently. At Chapel FM, we are hosting our first publisher in residence, uh, People Tree Press, based in Leeds, renowned globally for their publishing and um it's we're, we're talking to writers on love the words who have been published or are being published imminently by people tree and samantha thornhill you you samantha you've got a, a poetry collection coming out very soon yes i do it's called the animated universe right and that's not your first this is actually my debut poetry collection i have published um you know, widely in anthologies and different, like, you know, collections of others, but this is actually my debut collection, which wow. is very, yes. Well, really looking forward to hearing some work from that and actually talking a bit about it. But but first of all, yeah, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. I, I have a husband and two kids and I got them to leave the house <laughs> for the day. We, we're, it's a public holiday here in Trinidad called Corpus Christi. So the kids are out of school. And but it's just so lovely to have the space to myself so that I can really, you know, tap in with you. Fantastic. And uh, yes. So first of all, I was, I was looking at your website, which is absolutely fascinating. And some of the things that you do, which is great. <laughs> great range of things but you 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 do a lot of working with groups on poetry it seems and you've been teaching actors at the Juilliard in New York as well and uh, tell us a bit about yeah working with actors I'm fascinated by that well I um for a decade in New York City between 2005 and 2015 I, I taught poetry to acting students at the Juilliard school these are actors these are student actors who um are in a four-year conservatory program. Some of them come are, come right out of high school. Some of them, those are the BFA candidates. And then we have MFA candidates who've lived in the world a bit. Uh, but either way, it's a, it's a, a very intensive program. And my, my job was to really um, introduce poetry to the actors as a modality of expression, of impactful expression. The, so my class, I they wrote poems for my class. These are actors that, um, you know, they their job is to sort of develop a sort of relationship with language and with characters so that when they receive a script, they can then make it theirs. But in my class, what I was asking them to do was to generate their own material. And so this was quite a deep dive for many of these actors. Um, it, was a, it was another level of vulnerability for them. And also I, I, I would, I would, I would posit in saying that it really helped them to really enhance their appreciation for language, you know, and, and using this sort of heightened form of expression, it helped them to further understand what their plays were, what plays were doing, because there really is such a beautiful connection between poetry and playwriting as is exhibited by, um, playwrights such as August Wilson, you know, who, who was a poet at heart, right? So, um, so the class was very, very craft-based, but they also got a chance to perform their poems. And of course, <laughs> that was not, a, they have that in the bag. So the, much of the emphasis was really on using the tools of the craft 
to empower them in their own impactful expression. And several of my actors have returned, have circled back with me many years later because I've, it's 10 years of teaching. So a lot of them have gone on into the world and they've gone on Broadway and several of them circle back to me and tell me how impactful poetry was for them to, to understand that they did have um, they did have a voice, you know, beyond just their acting voice. They had a, a voice of, as a poet. And uh, I would love to think that it's really helped them in their craft and in their lives, because I just believe that any understanding of poetry, it's, um, it helps you navigate your experience. So um, it's been, it, was a, it was a really amazing time. Those students are extremely, they're extremely diligent. Uh, you know, Juilliard, um, maybe about 3,000 people would audition a year for the drama division. 18 students are chosen. So the students that are there are not there to play around. <laughs> you know, they're very, they're very, they're serious and they're serious about what they're doing. Their parents have sacrificed a lot for them to be there. They've sacrificed a lot for them to be there. So it was a very joyful, um, it was a joyful place to bring poetry into. And that's what I love. That's, that's actually what's been so galvanizing for me. And maybe you agree is just when you're able to bring poetry into spaces where it seems untraditional, <laughs> But uh, that, that brings me a lot of joy. Absolutely. And uh, yes, I mean, I think it's what a lovely and important thing to be to working, working with actors on. Mm -hmm. I've got a, a friend who's a director, a theatre director here and an actor. And she says that in this country, um, there is a kind of decline in, in the amount of work and training that actors do with language and actually really looking at the language particularly in Shakespeare associated it's one of her big things but uh, no fascinating uh, talking of bringing poetry into any uh, places that you don't expect it uh, I was really interested in your poet you know unexpected places uh, kind of art project tell us about that <laughs> so um I in, when I was in New York City I co-founded a group called Poetry in Unexpected Places. And we were also affectionately known as the Papa Poets because that's exactly what we did. Um, it was, it started out as an experiment of mine after doing some, you know, I was asked to bring poetry to some interesting spaces around that period of time. Like for instance, I was asked to do poetry in an HIV clinic, you know, in, in New Jersey while people were waiting to get tested. I, you know, I, I did some poetry in prisons and it, it got me very contemplative around this whole notion of bringing poetry into spaces that are unconventional. And I wanted to sort of push that, you know, like to really, uh, to really experiment with this, you know, does, because I remember being in that clinic and I asked the people in the audience who were mostly like Haitian immigrants, you know what I mean? Like how many of you have been to a poetry reading and how many of you like poetry? And someone in the audience like it said, well, we do now. And I said, huh, you know, so that there was something, a seed was planted there. And then there was like a series of events that I got asked to do that just kept, kept niggling at me. Like how, like this, this, what happens when we bring poetry to people that might not otherwise engage in it? Because I noticed that when we were, there's an open mic that I adored called Bar 13 in New York City. And as much as I loved that space, I just still felt it was the same poets, you know, cycling back, listening to each other. A few audience members would filter in, but I just felt it was too, um, too insulate, too insular. Let's break this out. Let's see what happens. And a vision came to me of doing poetry on the subway. It terrified me. The New York subways are, it, it, granted, it is a place where people do perform. <laughs> you know, it is a performative space. It is a place that lends itself to that, but not so much poetry. It's usually musicians or magicians. <laughs> and I just started receiving these visions of, of doing poetry on the subway. And I decided to ask a few poets to do this, to just try this with me, because I just felt compelled. So I, we gathered a few poets. It was a, a seven, of us, seven of us on that first day. And everyone was really nervous. And I had I had a, a vision on the way to the to the to where we were supposed to meet in Union Square, because I was thinking about what's the most effective way to do this. You know, I mean, what what result do we want? And the result I wanted was to bring people um, a very diverse, a versatile set of poems 
uh, that would shake them out of their silos of, of isolation, which is what New York City, you know, while it's a melting pot in the New York City subways, people are very closed off. They have their earphones in, you know, they're staring off into space. They try not to make eye contact. And so I thought about what is the most disarming way to, to bring poetry into the space. And I guess the curator mind started to envision uh, sitting on the subway as I was, because I was on the way to the subway imagining, are we really going to do this? Like I was, I was looking around, like what's the best way to do this? And it came to me that I'm sitting here. What if someone next to me were to stand up and start saying a poem? And then that person sits down. And what if someone else over there stands up and starts saying a poem and sits down? So that's what sort of came to my mind was that sort of pop-up effect. Uh, and so that's what we tried. I, I came to the group. I said, hey, let's, let's try this. And they were excited because they didn't know if everyone had to do a, go into a, a subway car by themselves. They didn't know what, how we were going to do this. But I felt let's br actually bring a poetry party to one car so we can support each other, so that we can have this sort of um, this sort of poetry crescendo, like this sort of, it's like, I just wanted it to be just a relentless pop-up explosion. And that's what happened. I started out, because it was my idea, I started out with a Lucille Clifton poem. I love doing other people's poems, presenting other people's poems. So I started out with a poem by Lucille Clifton, and then the next poet popped up and the next, and it was exactly, it was better than I could have ever imagined. It's one thing to really have an idea and it's another thing to have the lived experience of it. You really can't actually quantify what an idea is going to, how it's going to manifest, how it's going to feel, what the experience is going to be like. And it was so powerful. I mean, what we started to see um, <laughs> when I started doing the poem, people were a little, okay, what's going on? Is she going to ask for money? Is she homeless? What's, <laughs> what's happening? And then when the other poet case popped up, it was like, wait a minute. You started seeing people say, okay, what's going on? Is he inspired by her or are they in this together? Like you could see people starting to look around and wonder. And by the third poet, they knew something was, <laughs> they knew that they were part of something. And what was so beautiful and what I could have never imagined was it, it blurred the boundaries between poet and everyday person. Because what ended up happening is people started looking around like, who's the next poet? Mm. Is it you? Mm. Is it you? Is it me? You right? And so at the end of that experience, we rode from Union Square to Brooklyn on the Q train. And it was just pop up after pop up. And I realized anyone, probably any train car has a capacity to love poetry because people were asking for more when there were sometimes there were lulls in between they're like who's the next who's next people are like who's next and people thanked us people clapped and that's what started it we, we did it for a few years well and we got we got some recognition from the new york times and then we started to get asked to pop up places which is so interesting something that we started out that started out as a sort of motley experiment <laughs> turned into now please come pop up on our college campus pop up and then we were then next thing we knew we were doing pop-ups in university cafeterias and pushing into classrooms with poetry because people started to see the potential of what we were doing and how that pop-up installation model could fit into their spaces sounds absolutely wonderful and very very um, inspiring. I'm almost tempted to try it on the London Underground, but <laughs> I'd, I'd need to a bit of psyching myself up, like you, you know, before you do it. But and if I had a, a little cohort of people to do it with, we have a thing called Poems on the Underground, where we print poems and put them on the underground trains in London, which is nice. But it's it's a bit different for performing it. But that's a lovely idea. Thank you so much for explaining that. And talking about it let's let's come to your poetry collection your debut poetry collection the animated universe with people tree so uh, yeah do you want to tell us a bit about that and maybe read us something from it sure oh gosh um i i am what would be considered a seasoned poet but this is a debut collection and i love that um <laughs> i actually love that i waited for as long as i did this is a, this collection is about 20 years worth of poems that are my, I would say my greatest hits. Um, 
I've been I've been in the poetry game for a long time in the context of my life. I mean, I've been a good 20 years mm. performing all over the world, publishing, teaching. And so this um, this collection, I'm also a children's author, so I publish books for children. But I will say that this animated universe, this debut collection of poetry is is most meaningful to me. Um, it's truly an archive of my growth as a poet, of my evolution. I am a poet that has many, I have, a, I have a versatile voice because I have a hybrid personality as a Trinidadian citizen who moved to the United States. And so I have two things happening. You know, I have this these West Indian beginnings and you'll see many traces of those and expressions of, of that in my poetry. And then, and then there's a more sort of American identity that that I formed, you know, throughout my childhood in the States. So my poems are sort of, um, my poems have a sort of elasticity of voice. I write about everything. So this, this animated universe is a collection of, I always loved poetry books that you can just open anywhere and it, you don't need to read the poem before or after, you can just enjoy it. I just always loved poetry books that, that you can just enjoy it where you, where you open it. And so this is a book, it's not a theme book per se, where it's a lot of books I know are themes and they have a, a storyline, but these are really just poems about that contemplate um, many objects because a lot of my poems are odes. So the, the idea of the animated universe is that this universe is a very living entity and, and, and all of its, all of its, um, all of its players, you know, from, <laughs> from a piece of chalk, which I have an ode to, to an apron that I have an ode to. So I have, I, in the spirit of Pablo Neruda, who was a great influence of mine, I have a series of odes throughout the work, um, but overall you'll see just a, quite an array of poems here from many stages of my life and many voices and subject matters. I, I couldn't be happier that it's coming out into the world so soon. Wonderful. Well, let's, could we, could we hear one? You know all that all that hype right let's uh <laughs> <laughs> Since we were talking about my, my 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 life as a teacher i think i'll op i'll start with the opening poem which is the title poem it's the animated universe and uh just a small backstory i wrote this um when i was teaching creative writing to uh at a, at a middle school in manhattan this was, uh, so when we teach creative writing, uh, a part of the practice that I like to employ is when they're doing the in-class writing, I write as well, right? This poem actually came out of, this is one, this is the one poem in the manuscript that actually came out of, you know, writing while teaching. And I thought I would open it. So this is a litany from my eighth grade creative writers at the City School of the Arts in Manhattan. Their names are Nina, Seamus, Anaya, Taylor, Giselle, Izzy, and Niavani, and this poem is The Animated Universe. What if I were to tell you that your face is my mirror, making us infinite expressions of an almighty all? That we, my friends, are multi-dimensional miracles of art. What if I were to tell you that if I were you, born of your blood, with your ancestors ghosting through my veins, I mean, if I housed your past life pains instead of mine, if I had the sweet and sour privilege of ambling in your skins, I'm talking dress rehearsals of skins across the cosmos. If I were the only you in all the animated universe, then I would arrive at your mis exact missteps. What if my inability to understand you is my folly? What if I were to tell you that it is possible to be broken and still whole, brilliant fissures of light leaking up and through? What if I were to tell you that in that time, nakedness becomes your best armor, your vulnerability iron? What if I were to tell you that our evolutionary planet is an animal one of hard rocks, that there are pristine planets of celestial beings. But what if the assignment is to forget ourselves into remembrance, to love unconditionally in the muck, to gloriously ascend from our primordial depths? What if I were to tell you that we all chose all of this anyhow, 
our wonderfully shitty parents, blessings, backhands, pivots, and crash landings. What if I told you that the most high indwells strongest in the lowly and far flung? What if from the reaches of hell, we are still another's angel? Friends, friends, if I were to tell you all of this, would you believe me or would you nod and say, I know? That's oh. the poem. Thank you very much, Samantha. Samantha Thornhill reading from her new poetry collection, her debut poetry collection, um, The Animated Universe, published with, by People Tree. Do you know, uh, have, you, have you met the people from People Tree, Samantha? I've never met them in person. I've never, I haven't met um, Jeremy in person or Hannah. I have been, lovely correspondences, however. Um, the one person that I have met is Kwame Das, who's my editor. Great. Well, um, let's. We, I'd be lovely to hear another poem in a bit. But first of all, we're going to hear some music that you've chosen by Mikey Spice. This, well, I mentioned Mikey Spice because I <laughs> you gave, emailed me the, uh, the, the 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 artist and the title. You laughed, and it'd be interesting. You said it always makes you smile. This music. Tell us about it. You know this song. Um, I am. I said. I have a sweet memory of it. A few days ago, I was at my mother-in-law's house um, and that song came on. And what I loved about it is that my mother-in-law was jamming to it. I was jamming to it. And my stepdaughter who is 13 was feeling it all similarly. And we were, all had this moment, you know, this is three generations, you know, of, of, <laughs> of, of us. And this song came on and we all received such a warm feeling from it. And so when you mentioned, when, I don't know, just when you mention it, 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 <laughs> it, there's something that, about it that touches people. And it certainly touches me because as a, as a, as a Trinidadian born person that immigrated to the United States at a young age, um, belonging has been a great theme for me. You know, where is it that I truly belong? Where is it that I feel at home? Because in coming home to Trinidad at points, I would, I, it was very clear that I was a foreigner. I had picked up foreign ways. And when I was, when I'm in foreign, I still feel like I'm not quite from there. So that song, I Am, I Said, it really speaks about the loneliness of being caught, being, being scattered between two shores you know, looking for a place to call home. And so that song really sort of touches, touches on that for me. It's all about you. LA's fine sunshine most of the time. And the feeling is laid back. So low, don't you know? But I keep working my way back. But I'm a Jamaican boy who's born and raised. Nowadays I'm lost between two shores. LA's fine, but it ain't home. New York is home, but it ain't mine no more. Same one. 
emptiness deep inside And it won't let me go And I'm a man who don't like to swear But I hate the sound of being I said by Mikey Spice, chosen by Samantha Thornhill. He was our People Tree uh, writer for this particular Love the Words. Um, I have to ask you, Samantha, I saw on your website that you were writing or had written an ode to Odetta. <laughs> yes. I love Odetta. So I, she's one of my favorite artists. So to, please do. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I've got a, like a triple album of her stuff and I absolutely love it. So do tell me what that's about, what you're doing. Wow. So I was, um, I was asked by the, uh, this was in 2010. I was asked by the editor at Scholastic by the name of Andrea Davis Pinkney to write a book about Odetta. Apparently, you know, they had, um, they had a book in the works and it's, it was meant to be a picture book. And um, it was illustrated by a friend of Odetta's named Stephen Alcorn. And they needed someone to really, to, to, to really write something beautiful in tribute to Odetta's life. Interestingly, you know, Odetta is not a woman of my generation. I, I had no idea who she was. It was a very interesting assignment. I was like, I was asked to write a poem about someone I hadn't, I knew nothing about. And so when I looked Odetta up, the first clip I found was an old clip of her singing this song, Waterboy, which is, which is a song that most likely came out of the chain gangs, right? And in the African-American liter- uh, musical tradition. And so is this big, is this like big voiced, round afro guitar playing goddess <laughs> with a voice that just blew through me. It was like the power from, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that I was given this assignment. I saw that clip of Waterboy and I had to sit there like, oh my goodness, is this, I have to write about her? <laughs> like it was really intimidating. So I started to, um, I did a lot of research on her obviously and I actually got a chance to meet her. I, I happened to know someone that knew someone and Odetta was to give a performance um, in New York City in Times Square at B.B. King's. By this time, Odetta had, she had some health problems and she was hooked up to an oxygen machine and she was in a wheelchair. And do you know, they wheeled her out onto stage. She unhooked herself from her oxygen machine and she did a complete set. And Harry Belafonte was there. He was a dear friend of hers. And I was asked to, I was allowed to go into the back, into her dressing room and I met Harry and, you know, I met her and um, 
suddenly like as think people started filtering away someone asked me oh can you can you make sure odetta gets home <laughs> so i i hopped in a cab with her and we were talking and i was making her laugh i don't even, i don't even remember what i was saying i was just being myself and i literally escorted her up to her apartment in 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 harlem it was a cluttered space it was a small cluttered space and uh I lifted her into bed and she had on her, she had on her full regalia and she just said, no, you can just set me down here. And I, I put her in her bed and that was the last time I saw her. <laughs> she was in bed dressed for the stage. That's an extraordinary story. You know, Samantha, that's amazing. How, how wonderful to have met her. Yeah. I, I, I think she's an extraordinary singer, but uh, so where's the point? It, it was the only way I was able to truly write that poem was from meeting her. There was something because I was really struggling with this poem, even though I had all of the pieces, I had aspects of her because I wanted to really capture her childhood in Birmingham, Alabama, and how Jim Crow really affected her. And I really wanted to write a children's book about the historical era from which she came. I wanted to incorporate all of that, you know, elements of African-American musical traditions, such as the spirituals. So I, you know, I, it, it, it was such a collage of stuff that I was dealing with, with that I was sort of processing to create the poem. So I had all of these elements in place, but something was missing. And there was something about getting to meet her that one time i don't know what it was that she said or but it was i was finally able to write the piece and i wrote an ode to odetta and that's what became the book so i'd love to see that book is it online or anything it is out of print but it, it can probably still be purchased where is it? i have a copy somewhere I have, like, I have one copy of it and um oh here it is i'll show it to you but you can probably I'm sure you can you can still order it, but it is no longer being printed. But this is the book. There it is. The beautiful. Well, I, listeners, I wish I could describe the wonderful cover. It's called Odetta, the Queen of Time. The Queen of Odetta, the Queen of Folk. Queen of Folk. Yeah, lovely stuff. I I really wanted to ask about that from a very personal point of view. So I, I make no apologies apologies for that because she is. If you don't know Odetta. Yeah, you, I mean, this is for the benefit of the listeners. Please do look her up. She's online on Spotify and other places. Um, let's hear another poem, if you wouldn't mind, Samantha. Okay. All right. So uh, this this poem is called "Elegy for a German Shepherd." My dream of you always starts with your paws hooking to my shoulders, my nine-year-old self marveling at your white shock of fur against the sky's blue voltage. The moment stills, dog and girl, nose to wetter nose, paused in waltz on a scrapbook page of summer, never do you get to unzip me with your teeth. Pomegranate beads never rain from my chin, freckle up the sidewalk, polka dot my immigrant shoes. No neighbors dart from their homes to mine, never your owner's black boot against your underside. This dream spares me from stitches and the lingering fear of your kind, and you from the venomous syringe that fattened your veins with a good life's rest. This dream rewinds. Your paws lift away from my shoulders. And you moonwalk back to your patch of grass and I deeper into the folds of my youth. And as for the legacy you left on my face, well, it passes for a dimple, especially when I smile. Hmm. Wow. So that's, that's interesting. I mean, I, 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 that, didn't go where I expected it to go at all. That's so presumably a real incident and that's in that's in the collection. That is in the collection. I was attacked by a German shepherd when I was a kid yeah. and it was euthanized. So this poem was a healing, it was a healing poem for me to write. I was afraid of dogs for a very long time and uh, something about writing this poem, it took me like a, a long time to finish it, but 
something about writing it and performing it sort of healed my fear of dogs because once I, this poem became like a medicine, now I can be around them again. <laughs> That's an interesting function of poetry, uh, that function Absolutely. of poetry that is about, yes, creating a change in a way in, in the person, in the poet uh, kind of healing. Is that something that you are conscious of when you're writing? No, it's not. But, you know, one of my teachers at the University of Virginia, Gregory Orr, he was big on that. Um, this Gregory Orr was a poet that um, he suffered a childhood trauma early on in his life where wherein he, he shot his brother and killed him by accident. It was a hunting accident. And so a lot of his poems in his early career uh, really focused on, you know, examining this incident from many different like ways and perspectives. And, you know, in, in studying under Greg, he was big on that. He was big on using hot, like poetry as a method, methodology of healing. He would bring poetry into hospitals. Uh, you know, he had a, he has a book called Poetry as Survival. So that kind of planted, planted the seed for me, you know, in thinking about poetry as a modality of healing. When I'm writing, I don't realize that's what I'm doing or that's not even the intent. And my intention to, for writing poetry is not to heal myself. However, that is definitely, that is definitely um, <laughs> one of the effects of it. I'd really like just to ask you about your, a bit more about your work, particularly with young people. Um, I mean, I'm going after this, I'm going off to Chapel FM to the Arts Centre I mentioned, and I'm going to be doing a writing workshop with young people actually this afternoon. But it's, I, I really liked a phrase that I saw on your website about your kind of methodology, the iron fist and the sunnied love uh, in terms of, of, how you, uh, of how you work. That may not be with young people, that might be with other, with maybe more established writers, I don't know. But yeah, tell us a bit about that, but about your reason for working with young people. Why is, why is, why is, why is it important for young people to, to try poetry, to work with poetry, language? Great question. Uh, and I want to I, I, I want to be completely honest, um, because sometimes when we decide to show up and be of service, uh, we're aligned with the work that we're doing and how much it helps others. And but I can I can say that everything that I'm everything that I do is for myself, first and foremost. It, it, if I'm not fulfilled in what I'm doing then, you know, then, then I'm misaligned. And if I'm misaligned, I'm discontent. And if I'm just, you know, it's like a whole snowball, right? So what I do fulfills me. And what the reason why teaching young people fulfills me so much is because I once had a teacher tell me to write a poem and that was my beginning. This was in middle school. So it would have been sixth grade. I was 11 or 12. And my teacher asked us to write a poem about Christmas. <laughs> it was a, just an assignment. It was my first time being asked to write a poem or anything creatively like that. And it changed my life. It opened me up to a form of expression. I needed, that was just, it was an intervention. I had really just moved to the United States. I was an immigrant. I was um, isolated and finding my way, finding my voice. And being given that blank, blank page was like being given a mirror. And uh, that changed the course of my life as a way of, 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 of composing my experience. And so um, there was something so, 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 so um, full circle about teaching middle school. This was my, my last teaching assignment was at the City School of the Arts. The first poem that I read was bloomed out of that time. And so to be able to teach that particular age group was very meaningful. However, I taught in high schools, I taught the actors, I taught senior citizens. But in terms of young people, poetry becomes their stream. A lot of young people are not given, um, they're not given these forms of expression um, as something that should be held as valuable. You know, it's something that they often stumble upon or decide to do on their own. But to create a space where this is, you know, where this is the, the norm, is this is what we do. We come into this intimate setting. We look at poems, which are poems are such intimate events, you know, to read a poem on a page that someone wrote, that someone poured their, their experience into 
it, it, I think it creates empathy, you know, which is essentially an, an act of the heart's imagination. And this is something that Greg Orr um, said to us on one of our first days at UVA, University of Virginia, which is the first requirement that, that is needed to enter into the world of a poem is empathy, because this is someone that you don't even know. You know, why would you invest this time to read this thing? So it's a, so it's, it's something that I feel that it, it, it's a muscle that it builds in the students. And then there's the empathetic muscle that they have for one another and then for their own selves. And when I give them writing exercises, uh, what it really does, and as you know, as a writer is that it's an excavation process. You know, it's, it's a way of sort of, you know, when we come to the page, it's everything that we've ever learned, known, experienced, believed. It's like we come with all of this. And so what area are we going to be inspired to look into just based on the prompt and on the timing? And I just find that what poetry does, it's, it's in alignment with my mission, especially with young people, is to align them with who they really are. Because at this point, society is attempting to program them into something. And so poetry is that authentic human voice. This is our, this is this sort of nuance of the human experience that with this heightened form, can, it can only be expressed through this heightened form. You know, like how a, a, such a magnificent uh, epic experience can be condensed into, you know, a small stanza. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just, there's just nothing like it. And so to be able to teach children the power of that, the power of the economy, um, the, the, the depth and the nuance of their own expression, you know, that they can use language in surreal ways. You know, I always bring like the surrealist movement early on in a session just to give them that freedom because they just don't have the freedom to express themselves in the society in, that we're in. So it's creating a safe, not only a safe space, but a brave space for them to face themselves, for them to examine their memories, for them to surprise themselves because that's what ends up happening. And across the board, Juilliard students, prisoners, there's always gonna be someone that's surprised by something that they wrote. I didn't know that was there. I didn't know that I remembered that. And all of this is, you know, in the spirit of the second song, bringing us closer to the source. Well, we'll hear that song in a moment, but that's just a magnificent exposition of, of poetry and why we do it. Thank you so much. I, I'll go back and listen to that. I've made some notes. I loved some phrases that you that you had there. To be misaligned, I think, and to be aligned, I think is, is you know, that to be misaligned, <laughs> meaning that one is unhappy. I think it's very honest also to say that, that what you do is primarily for yourself. And I think that's totally fine, isn't it? I love the idea of a poem as an intimate event. I think that's beautiful. And, uh, and also the idea of empathy being the heart's imagination. Very moving. Thank you so much, Samantha. That's great. Um, <laughs> with, if you wouldn't mind reading one more poem, and then sadly, we, we have to move. We have to move away from you. And... <laughs> This has been lovely. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for this conversation. And it's like a walk down memory lane. All right, so one more poem, huh? Okay, what will it be? Okay. Okay, um, I guess I'll just, I'll work. I'll, I'll, all right, <laughs> choices, choices. Okay, so this poem is called On Becoming. And this is another poem that came out of, uh, this is an I am assignment and kids love that. You know, I am, this is about your identity, right? So this is on becoming. I am a boat rocker, pot spoon in the hand of my creator. I am a gleaming can of worms. I am China shop bowl cantering into a storm, asker and sayer, dealer of things. I am discomfort's daughter. Misinterpretations identical twins. I am two truths holding hands. A queen baby. Whole and cracked I am. Boundless with limitations. Sorry sans regret. Problem and solution. I am more than the sum of my achievements and errors. I am planet earth spacious inside. I am not who I was yesterday. I am growing, evolving under and away from your sight. Tell me how you would consider me then, beloved. Wish flower, weed, or seed bursting into tree. No matter. 
I am worthy of all that I desire, a family of my making, friendship, forgiveness, purpose ever unraveling. I am worthy of your vexation, your heart and ear tendons to stretch, your heavy lifting, stone you refuse. I am someone's answered prayer. I am a figment of God's imagination. I am more than I say I am. I am who I am becoming. Lovely, thank you very much, Samantha. And, uh, you know, good luck with the collection. I really hope that it goes everywhere and gets the audience it deserves. Uh, it's been lovely to speak to you. But before we go, <laughs> before we go, perhaps you could talk about Closer to the to Source, which is the, the track you've chosen at the end. Well, the, the Closer to the Source is a track by South African musician, Becky Mseleku, and uh, it's an instrumental. So there's no there's no words, but um, I love I've loved this song for a long time, and I've traveled to South Africa several times, and this is a song that sort of captured my heart. Uh, and I love that the, the title is closer to the source because this, the song kind of really feels like that. Closer to the source to me is you know we're talking about alignments and aligning with our power you know, aligning with ourselves, aligning with our identity, aligning with the self, aligning with whatever we believe created us, if that is our leaning. So it's a question of what is the power source? What is the, 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 what is the power behind everything that we do? And so, you know, much of this internal journey through life and through poetry is, an, it is that journey to the interior, you know, that it, it is the journey back to our beginnings. And so that's like a, that's a great theme in my work and in my life. And, is just returning to myself, returning to my source, re returning to that place where my power derives and, and, and staying in alignment, you know, with that intention to always return, you know, always return to my beginnings. So that's why that's, that song felt resonant for me. We're gonna hear it now. Thanks ever so much, Samantha. Thank you so much, Peter.
Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. (laughs) 